Hi, Chris Plum, head coach and CEO of the Carmel Swim Club, and this is the Off the Deck Podcast. Off the Deck Champions Carmel Swim Club's mission, teaching excellence through swimming for life. To more fully meet that mission, we are constructing a new pool, the Carmel Swim Academy, to increase the scope and to reach our community-based programs, including swim lessons and master swimming, and improve the learning environment for all of, of our CSC swimmers. We know this will save lives. We are proud to be a part of this exciting project, breaking ground on May 5th. To learn more, visit www.carmelswimacademy.org. Now let's get on with the show. Our guest today is Ian Murray. Ian served as associate head coach right here at the Carmel Swim Club. Uh, and he's been the head coach of Dynamo since August of 2017. As head coach, Ian sees, oversees all aspects of Dynamo Swim Club, Dynamo Juniors, and Dynamo Masters. During his time at Carmel, Ian coached a world a junior world record holder, a USA national swimming champion, and multiple junior national champions. His swimmers have set multiple USA swimming national age group records. Coach Murray is the USA swimming national team coach, served as head coach of the 2019 national junior team trip to Malzajak, and served on the coaching staff of the 2016 USA swimming college college challenge. He has been head coach for both the USA Swimming National and Zone Select camps. But before we get to Ian, we're going to do my segment called I Don't Know If It's Right, I Just Know It Works. And today I want to talk to you about part of Jim Collins' book, Built to Last, and the genius of and versus the tyranny of or. So Jim says that great companies do not oppress themselves with the tyranny of or, the rational view that cannot easily accept paradox, that cannot live with two seemingly contradictory forces or ideas at the same time. Thinking, you know, you can have change or stability. You can be conservative or bold. You can have low cost or high quality. Jim says that highly visionary companies embrace both extremes at the same time. And instead of choosing A or B, they figure out how to have both A and B. And I firmly believe that and is one of the core beliefs at the Chroma Swim Club. And I think if you want to be a great coach, you want to have a great program, you need to believe in multiple things at the same time. And I think for Carmel Swim Club, it's having a community club and a national presence. As a coach, you can have change and stability. You can have compassion and toughness. You can be a great technician and do great work and a lot of work. You can have individual programming and a great team. I think you need to open yourself up and your mind up and work with the power and genius of and. And F. Scott Fitzgerald said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. And uh, my next guest, like I said, Ian Murray, he's certainly capable, and I know he believes in the power of and and the genius of and because we worked on these things together here. So please welcome Ian Murray. Ian, welcome. How are you? Doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. Um, I think we've been on some podcasts together, uh, but this is the first time I'm interviewing you. So it was, uh, 
I get to make you look good today. So excited to do that. <laughs> well, you did, you did interview me once before. It just happened to be like, you know, 15 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can start there. Um, you know, you were, uh, we were both kind of younger coaches and we met at one of the zone select camps and I interviewed you. And what were you thinking when you first came to Carmel and you, uh, you interviewed? Well, I, I think as I remember it, we, and it was May of 2006 and we were at the camp together. And um, uh, in all honesty, I think, you know, I mentioned, Hey, you're looking for a head age coach. He's like, yeah, are you interested? And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like a hard pass at the time. Um, but uh, the summer progressed and we ran into each other at junior nationals and we actually finally really sat down and talked about it. And, um, I think Chris Webb was part of that conversation as well. And, um, it was like 10 days later, I was living in Carmel, Indiana. Um, so it was kind of a, a whirlwind, but, um, I to me, it was more just, you know, sitting down and listening to, you know, you, you know, the members that interviewed me, um, you know, Webb saying that as well. Um, I think my experience in the community and, and seeing the community, um, I just saw, you know, a lot of potential and, uh, it was certainly the right, you know, move for me professionally at the time, uh, I was looking for a new challenge, but it was also, I think the right move life-wise for me as well. Um, so, uh, you know, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made, uh, was, was leaving Lake Erie Silver Dolphins, which I love my time there, but, you know, leaving them in Cleveland, Ohio and moving to Carmel, Indiana and spending, you know, 11 years. Yeah. So uh, before we get into Carmel, let's talk about, uh, you know, growing up in Cleveland, blue collar town. And I know you, unfortunately you're a Browns fan, but uh, we'll let that pass for today. Um, you, I, you know, kind of equate you to a coach who has, you know, strong character values, believes in that, uh, instilling that hard work, uh, maybe to use this term, blue-collar work ethic uh, into your athletes. Uh, where do you think you learned that, um, and how do you today instill that into your athletes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I do, you know, probably associate with that blue-collar work ethic. Um, it's what I've always known. It's probably what most people in Northeast Ohio know. Um, but my, my parents, you know, I'm a first generation American, like my parents immigrated here from Scotland in the late sixties. Um, my father was in the Royal Merchant Navy there and moved to the United States for a job at the American shipbuilding company, which was owned by George Steinbrenner. Um, and he worked there for a while and eventually became, you know, an engineer, um, and worked his whole you know career in Northeast Ohio. Um, the, the town I grew up in is, I mean, basically something where I have a Springsteen song, you know, it's the factories and, you know, true blue collar, you know, work ethic. Um, and unfortunately most of those factories don't exist in the town I live in now. So, um, like you've seen both edges, both sides of it, where like it's been thriving and then how you, how you it when it's not there anymore. But um, yeah, I think that's definitely part of who I am and it shows in my coaching. Um, but I think that's just, you know, how I started out and I've been maybe smart enough or, or lucky enough to be with people to show me the way where I've added more tools to, um, you know, my coaching tool belt as I've learned. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know you have two, two young kids of your own, but what was it like for you? I know your dad coached you. And, uh, you know, what was that experience like? And, you know, any, 
any thoughts on what it was like having your, your dad coach you? <laughs> um, it was challenging. Um, you know, we, we had our highs and lows. Like I think any, you know, athlete and coach relationship is going to have. Um, ours was unique in that, you know, sometimes it didn't end at, at the pool. You know, sometimes it kind of came home as well. Um, but I think, you know, it just, uh, you know, I, I was an okay swimmer, you know, but I think where I swam, I, you know, I, te I, I tended to stand out. Like I was a little bit better than the people I was training with, um, which often required me to have my own such my own lane or things like that growing up at a small YMCA swimming. And I think that really forced me to be in tune with what I was doing, um, not you know, like technically physiologically, like, what is this set all about? What's it trying to achieve? And maybe I was fortunate to have a pretty good understanding of what my needs were as an athlete uh, at a pretty young age. And that helped me in my whole career. Um, and it certainly helps me now as a, as a coach. Like I didn't envision myself becoming a coach. Part of that was because of being coached by your father. Like, I think you just have some demons that you're like, no, okay, I, don't think I need to exercise those. Yeah, I'm coaching but, my kids. Um, so uh, hopefully I'm not doing that. But, um, I think once I did finally stumble into, you know, the profession or get the opportunity to stumble into it, like I, I fell in love right away. And um, I think those times of, of being alone in that relationship building that you had to, had to work with, with your coach, whether it was a parent or not, like it was, it was, it continues to be a crucial piece of, of who I am and what I try to do with my athletes. Yeah. And then you went on to swim at Cleveland state. Um, and so you, you stayed home. So, and you're thinking, what was that like to stay home and making that college choice and, um, you know, having, what, what kept you coming back to Cleveland? Um, I mean, I think you try to weigh all the things that are going on in your life as a high school senior, um, when you're making that collegiate choice and Cleveland state was the, the right choice at the time. Um, met some uh, amazing people and teammates, you know, people I'm, really close with until this day and um met my wife there um and you know like staying in cleveland wasn't hard for me like like i'm you know like i love northeast ohio it's home it's always going to be home for me um and you know that i know some athletes you know like i need to get away i need to get away as, you know from home as, as much as possible or get away as far as i can and that just wasn't me i, I would have been fine going away but um that was just the the best opportunity for me at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, like it was, it, again, it had its highs and its lows. I think as anyone's going to have in their collegiate career. Um, but like I, my highs are pretty high. And I think that revolves around the relationships that, um, you know, I built again with my teammates and my coaches and the other people that I had the opportunity to interact with while I was there. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, kind of, you, we, you and I meet in May of 2006, uh, and then I only know that because you said it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I somehow convinced you to come come to Carmel. And when you first started out, I think there's going to be you know maybe coaches out there listening in on this. Um, what a what what do you what were you thinking when you first started here? And then B maybe what would you tell yourself? Um, to that person that first came to Carmel today, like what advice would you give them now? Uh, really good question. Um, you know, I think what I thought was, um, 
you know, coaching at Lake Erie for, for six years with Jerry Holtry was just an absolute privilege. Um, you know, Jerry didn't pay very well, but, you know, what he made up for uh, without the pay was that he gave you opportunity and you know, he gave you responsibilities that most young coaches probably shouldn't have. Like, I, I got to lead a team at Nationals at 23 years old, you know. Right. Um, you talk about, like, being, you know, thrown into the fire and trying to figure things out. I mean, I've been there as an athlete, but being on deck and coaching is something completely different, especially when you're, you know, barely older than the people that you're leading on that deck. So, um, but, you know, being with Jerry, like there was a very specific way he wanted things done and I was given some leeway, but you now I wanted a chance to grow and be my own coach um, and learn with other people and, begin to execute some of the things that I believed in that maybe weren't 100% in line with the philosophy that were going, that was going on at Lake Erie Silver Dolphin. So Carmel was that opportunity. Um, and I think one of the things that stood out to me, and I think, you know, I know Webb says that this is what sold, sold the, you know, the gig for me was that not only was I going to lead the top age groupers, but like I insisted on being on deck with the top senior athletes because yeah, I thought it was my responsibility. No, like if I'm preparing kids for this level, I need to see it firsthand. And yeah. I want to know exactly what the expectations are at the level above me so that I can craft what I'm trying to do for the athletes that are in my care, as well as the athletes below me that, you know, I'm helping those coaches get to where they need to be. Um, you know, as what would I tell myself? I mean, <laughs> we worked really hard, you know, um, and uh, not that I ever tell someone to like not work hard, but like, I would probably say those first four or five years of Carmel, I didn't take a whole lot of time for myself. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, all of the success, I think I probably would have been more successful or better for myself that I, you know, been willing to unplug every once in a while and, um, you know, take some time to reflect and and visit other people and learn from other people um i didn't start doing that or we didn't really start doing it until later um so i think that's that's probably one of the things i would say um i think you know i went in there i i this is the other piece i would say i went in with a pretty steadfast uh belief on high school swimming yeah you know? <laughs> right and, um you know if you're not familiar with carmel like the, the high school team is just you know it's part of the culture you know the, the the club team is probably what is the animal what drives everything but the high school team is a major part of it and um it took me a while to realize that it was really important for the athletes and really important to the athletes and i was ignoring that as a coach and I think that's probably some good advice, too, is that, look, you know, when you're working with athletes, it doesn't matter what level they're at, um, what part of the country they're in or whatever. It's important to recognize what is important to them. What are they excited about? What really gets them going? And it may not be 100 percent in line with exactly what you're trying to achieve, but like it's important. That you're going to have to incorporate it into your plan. You can't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice and probably. Uh... I don't know if you would tell you, well, I don't know how to put this exactly, but uh, you'd have a hard time telling yourself that. I don't know if you would have believed it <laughs> when you yeah. first started here, right? Um, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, you kind of transformed yourself. Obviously, you worked hard. You came to the office. Uh, I think you're, 
uh, one of the most organized people I've ever met. And I think that leads to your success. So, but you started in as a head age group coach and worked your way up to be an associate head coach. Um, you know, for the people out there listening, like, how do you, how did you transform yourself maybe from that head age group coach role to, you know, leader of going on world junior trips and, and national junior teams and all those things. Like what happened in those maybe 10 years to, to slowly get you where you are today? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the culture and the expectations of the program standards program evolved over time, you know, um, you and I, you know, came online basically at the same time at Carmel and we were dealing with zero individual qualifiers for junior nationals and, um, didn't have a trials qualifier in 2004 and, uh, uh, you know, probably going back to my previous point, like a very high school oriented team, like we're very focused from October through February, but outside of that, we're, you know, just going to dip our toes in the water and see how it feels. And then we'll decide on what we're really going to do. And, um, you know, we, we went in with the objective of raising the standards um, of, you know, first the coaches and then how the coaches interacted with the athletes and then the standards of the athletes and their execution and then the standards of the parents and how they supported it. Um, and, you know, that, that took hold. And uh, I think each group of athletes and look, I was, I was handed a very good group of athletes when I first arrived, like you coached them before I did. And, those kids went on to be Big Ten champions and NCAA qualifiers, and you know, are getting their PhD at Harvard now in chemistry. Like they're they were great kids, um, and they began to pave the way for you know, like I'm a big believer in that leaders don't create followers; they create more and better leaders, and they kind of set the tone for I think um, the you know the future generations coming through the program. And I saw that as an opportunity to. Um, you know, continue to build that leadership with the young athletes um, as well as the coaches. Um, and then it got to a point where, you know, the expectations, even at, you know, what would have been challenge once you're talking about your top 13, 14 year old athletes in the program, maybe some 12 year olds shown in, but, um, you know, people qualifying for Olympic trials from that group. And uh, so from, from a performance standpoint, like you were beginning to equal what most clubs would have at their top senior level. Um, and then I was also spending time on deck with the athletes that were, you know, also at our senior level. So like working with the kids and transitioning, you know, relationship wise was actually pretty easy. Um, you know, probably the hardest thing for me was, was letting go of my age group job, like knowing that like, Hey, that's not my responsibility anymore. And I need to let people who are you know, taking over that role, do their job and do it to the way they think is correct and not the way that I would have done it. Um, you know, those are things that I wish I would have learned, um, you know, quicker than I did. Um, but I think, uh, you know, as you adapt with the athletes and they, and they move on to the senior role, um, you know, like, I think you can, we'll talk about the power of and, like, I, I think you can still coach top level you know, 15 to 18 year olds, like an introvert. like you can, you can keep the fun and the progression and the excitement that you have as an age grouper. And you can, you know, add on some types of training, whether it's power, you know, spending more time in the weight room and, and things like that. And, um, 
I think my time as head agent coach, but also spending time on deck with a high performance group allowed me to have a pretty good mindset on how I was going to do that before I ever stepped on deck. Yeah. And I, th you know, when you kind of talk about it and review it, I, in what advice do you have? You know, you have like, and, you know, our board president at the time, Todd Adams, talked about leading from the second chair, right? And like, I thought you did a great job of uh, leading from that place, you know, um, and working with, like, I think we always collaborated well together. If I think about it, you know, you, myself, and, and Chris Webb, and, you know, I think I would agree it was a special time for all of us. We were young, hungry, and, and learning from each other. Um, you know, for the people out there who maybe aren't the head coach or um, maybe not leading a group, what do you think they should be thinking about from their position? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things I think we always talked about was don't confuse um, disagreement with dissent. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important that everyone has a voice and um i always felt like a partner i always felt like i had a voice and uh, in a lot of cases i knew it was my job to be the person who would be devil's advocate or say hey what if we think about it from this angle instead or um or whatever but i also knew that um you know once my piece was said it was going to be considered like every other piece of information out there and you know, the head coach is going to make a decision on where the program was going. And it was my job, like everybody else's, to go out there and tow the company line and say, like, hey, this is where we're going. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, our staff at that time did a really good job. And I'm sure you guys continue to do a really good job at that. And that's something I try very hard to do here at Dynamo is that um, I want to be a collaborative leader. Like, I value everyone's input in the room. I know... I expect everyone to not agree with me at all times. And I want to hear those, those thoughts, those concerns, those questions. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, you know, once we've all said our piece, we're going to feel a little bit better about it. We're going to understand where we're going as an organization and we're going to go out there and we're going to say the same message at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. And, uh, you know, hopefully um, everyone out there understands that, you know, behind the closed doors, you, you need to have disagreements and, and talk those things out. But once you once you go out into the front of the, on the stage, so to speak, you, you need to be aligned. Uh, otherwise, bad things happen. So, um, you know, so you, you left Carmel and then you go to Dynamo. Big program, filling some uh, filling some big shoes there. Uh, high expectations, two sites. You know, walk us through. I mean, how have you how have you continued to lead uh, Dynamo to its excellence, and what are the challenges that you face today? Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, I think first, you know, taking over. Um, you know, my my taking over at Dynamo was due to tragic circumstances. Yeah. Um, my predecessor, Jason Turcott, passed away suddenly. Um, and uh, Jason was actually an important part of my life. I swam for him in college for a little bit. He was a fellow Clevelander, uh, working for swim camps for him, and was someone who I think um, was a part of my coaching journey all the way along. Uh, at some parts intermittently, in some parts, you know, he was highly involved, and probably actually the person who made me feel like 
I could be a good coach. And he was the first person who really made me feel that way. Um, so I think coming in and, and sitting in that chair and filling those shoes, because he was, he was a very large figure here, still is today. You know, he yeah. is just, uh, he, he was a God here. And um, I think the first thing was like, I, I really recognized like, that, look, I'm not here to be the next Jason. There's no way I'm replacing him. Um, the very best that I can do is that uh, I can look at all the great things that he has put in place, um, you know, and, and where he's led this organization. And we look at what we do well, and we're going to try to enhance it. And um, we, we, we stayed with that probably for the first year or so. Like if, if I learned one day my time coaching and, and you said it earlier, like you can have stability and change at the same time. Um, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by really good people who knew their jobs. Um, so the stability piece was there and I let them do their jobs and it gave me time to evaluate and see this is how everything works. This is how things flow. And it was probably pretty close to a year before we start trying to implement any significant change. And even then I was turning the dial pretty slowly. Um, uh, just because, look, I mean, this is a, you know, a well-oiled machine and can things be done better? Yes. But ultimately, like in most cases, you just need to get out of the way and let people do what they're supposed to do. Um, but as much as we try to enhance the things that we were already doing well, like I think you do begin to identify, especially since I have a different lens than, than what Jason had or what anyone else at Dynamo had there are things we could do better. And those are, those are hard conversations at first, because I think, you know, a lot of people took it personally, like, oh, this is almost like an attack. Like we, we didn't, weren't doing it good enough. It's like, no, like I just, these things can be done better. And if Jason were sitting in this room right now, I'd tell him these things can be done better and we're going to do them better. Um, so I think we've, you know, we set out to start begin, you know, changing some things. And I would say that, Finally, like right when I felt like I was maybe getting a grip of it, we end up in a pandemic and, you know, you're, you're fighting for your life as a business. Um, we are, we are fortunate um, in some ways to own and operate our own facilities, uh, which is great because we always have access to water and we can program it. We see it. But when, um, you know, a pandemic hits and revenue stops coming through the door, um, you get nervous, you know, because it cost a lot of money to run a pool and we run two of them. In fact, at each facility, we have three different pools. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, it, it became, it came full circle. So I think in some ways, like we're, we're starting from scratch again, because we've, you know, we've used this time to really think about, okay, how can we do things better and differently so that if the, we ever came across circumstances like this again, like we wouldn't be so nervous about what was going on. Um, but, uh, it, it definitely takes a lot to, to lead an organization with multiple sites. Um, we have three competitive sites and, and great staff members, but we don't see each other all the time. Our athletes don't train together all the time. And we take our team culture with a lot of pride, but it's a lot of work to try to keep it where it needs to be. Um, and, uh, I will say that I'm incredibly proud of what our staff and athletes have done over the past 12 months to keep it there because um, this past weekend was the first time as a senior group we've actually really been in the meet away from our own facility and it was like we never left you know that was that was pretty cool yeah so just kind of looking forward here coming out of the, the pandemic hopefully we're nearing the end here what do you think the things that we're going to take away uh what are we going to keep right from from the pandemic do you think moving forward what did we learn 
Well, I think as much as we we bash Zoom and, and that type of communication, I think in a lot of ways, like we I know we discovered ways that it can be extremely useful for communicating specific types of information with our membership. Um, you know, being a multi-site program, we were often running what we would call town hall meetings, which would be information on college recruiting or long-term athletic development, um, volunteering and things like that. We, someone would have to be going to all the sites and, and running that meeting three different times. Right. And now with Zoom, like we've, we've produced recordings and we've been able to do those things online and, and prepare for it way in advance um, and do it from the comfort of your home and not have to, you know, worry about driving all over Atlanta if you know anything about Atlanta traffic. Like, <laughs> I was going to say. You know, it, it, yeah. It's way better. Um, right. So I think like that's an important piece. And it, it's also offered us like unique ways for us to communicate with our athletes. Um, not necessarily like weekly, but like in a lot of cases we use Zoom to record things and send that information out to our athletes so they're armed with information before they ever show up at the pool for practice or meet or whatever. Um, and the other thing I think is, I can't speak for you guys, but we still are not operating, at least our top senior groups are not operating at our full schedule for training. We're, with, we're four people per lane, uh, maximum, in some cases five. You know, we're a big organization. We have a lot of moving pieces. It's hard to get people through the facility, like, especially between three and 8 p.m. You know, or three and 9 p.m. So that's requiring us to continue to make sacrifices. Um, so as a coach, I think you're really focused on what are the absolute need to do things in the weekly plan and what are the nice to do things. And right. I need to make sure I'm taking care of these need to do things. And if I can slide in some nice to do every once in a while, that's awesome too. But, um, you know, we've had to trim the fat for lack of a better expression and really focus on the main things of that we need as a, you know, as a team. And, in a lot of ways, I don't think it's actually impacted our performance a whole lot. So it makes me think that maybe we don't need to be doing all those things. Or, um, you know, I think as a coach, you just need to be prepared to be very organized and really prepared to squeeze the most out of that 90 minutes, 120 minutes, whatever that you have for practice, as opposed to, you know, being so blessed and being able to take your time and, you know, waste some of it. Right. Keep the main thing the main thing, right? That's right. <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to finish up with some fun, some sprints to finish off this practice, right? So always got to go fast at the end. All right. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So um, if you could do a social kick with anybody in history, swimmer and non-swimmer, who would you do a social kick with? That's tough. Um I don't know. I'd probably have to say someone like Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, leads us to our next question. Uh, what song would you least like to pop up during practice? Oh, God. Anything by Nickelback. <laughs> Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Just can't okay. do it. All right. Um, so if you could have a band come on during practice, what – what band or album would you want like played from beginning to end during practice? Um, I could probably listen to the last waltz by the band on repeat for. All right. Love it. Uh, would you rather swim in the deep end or shallow end? Deep. Deep. Yeah. Okay. Deep end. If you could create your own perfect I am order, 
what would it be? Fly back and free, get rid of retro. <laughs> <laughs> just all done. <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, mine too. I, I thought I'd put brushstroke first, that way I could get a big pull out. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, if it was 100 IM, I could do the dive with the pull out and fake a few cycles, but like right. anything above that, like, just not brushstroke. Yeah, uh, kickboard or no kickboard? I grew up with a board, I love kicking with a board. board okay, are you kicking or are you going to do pull? I don't know. I would say 50-50. I like them both. Oh, okay. Would you rather have to swim in a pool that is too cold or too warm? Probably too cold. Okay. Uh, lane leader or going last? Probably lane leader. I mean, yeah, I, I was going to guess lane leader. Uh, for all of our swimmers out there, how many strokes per 25 are you allowed in a kick set? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. You heard it here, folks. Well, you, okay, one, we can right? we can take we can take one with the flip turn. That's fine. One with the flip turn. Okay. Uh, 200 fly or 400 IM? 200 fly. That was my best event. Yep, yep. What's your favorite Gatorade color? Powerade or whatever. Which? Um, blue. Blue. All that's right. what that, that's what my son would say, so he'd be happy that I said blue. Oh, okay, you're a blue guy, and you got a blue shirt on. So, um, Ian, anything you want to tell us about that's going on at Dynamo or in the world, or what's going on with you that you want to let the people know about? Um, no, I mean, with Dynamo's going great. We're, we're busy. Um, we're actually getting ready for. Um, so we have a 50 meter pool that has had a temporary structure over it for a long time. And um, one of the things I'm probably most proud about during the, the pandemic is we were scheduled to replace that structure. Um, and we went ahead and, and did it like the, the funds were secure for it. Um, so we went ahead and, and did a major capital improvement over a 50 meter pool. And in the process, we're, we're renaming it the Jason Turcotte competition pool at our aquatic okay. center. Um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and we, we've been swimming in it already and we've had a few meets in it, um, but we're still not allowing spectators and things like that. But in May, we are going to finally have an open house to let the membership and alumni and all the people come through and see it. Um, and as part of that, it's going to be kind of like a, you know, a fun day for Dynamo. We're gonna have food trucks. There's gonna be a silent auction that we're using as a fundraiser for our Olympic trials athletes and things like that. So um, that's pretty cool. We're really looking forward to it. Um, and then our, our futures level athletes are getting ready to go down with Carmel to Sarasota for a training trip and uh, compete in the game swimming invitational. Um, that should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to that as we uh, get ready for a big summer and figure out how I'm going to spend a whole month uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, basically. Yeah, we'll be right there with you, buddy. All right. That's it for Off the Deck Podcast. Thank you, Ian Murray, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it.